condemn God for abandoning them bow their heads to pray have you ever vented your anger or your frustration with God I mean who has not done that who has not looked at something and saw some sense of inequity that we believed and said, God, how can this be? Why is this going on? Hey, who has not done that in, in our group today? I can't imagine there's any. If you do, we'll talk about it later. Come up. You know, it is Father's Day. And we look at Job as kind of a perfect man. I just kind of make a little connection here. I didn't really design this, but... Uh, have you, have you seen that email? You know, it's, every day now we just, we see spam, we just get rid of it, right? We don't even open it up. But have you seen the email that says, picture of the perfect man? Have you seen that? Well, maybe I'll send it to you. It's the picture of a perfect man. And when you open it, it says, image not available. That's not funny. But actually, we do know, we do know that Jesus came as the perfect uh, God-man. We know that. And he lived this sinless life, and he made it possible for us to become totally righteous in his sight in terms of what he defines in the sight of God by trusting in what would become his shed blood on the cross that would take our place. We know that's the, the truth. And from the moment sin, and we talked about two weeks ago, as we were talking about sin, how, how real it is in the world and how it began in Genesis. And, and we, we, talk, we think about that. From the moment that sin entered through Adam and Eve's disobedience, God began showing man his plan for us to get back into a right relationship with God. The Old Testament law of God and the New Testament love of Christ, they stand together. And no matter how you want to sway it, they all point to the same thing. There, there really is this such cohesion in the scriptures when you view it in the plenary inspiration of all the scriptures, how it all comes together. It's, it's, it's really intriguing and fascinating to watch. But most of you know the background of Job, right? I'll quickly go over it. It's not included in the verses today. We're getting a response from God. But you know this. Job was, was said to be a good and a righteous man. And that Satan asked God... If there was such a good and righteous man, he, he asked for special permission from God to cause him trouble, to cause him sorrow, to see if he could get Job to sin against God and turn his back on his faith in God. So Job has no idea that that's going on. It, it's, it's, it's just a fascinating passage of Scripture, and it's hard to fit in most theologies because of this. Uh, the sovereignty of God, it fits in there. But Job, had no, Job no, has no idea. He just knows that all of a sudden, everything in his life has gone wrong. It seems like every day he wakes up and there's something new that's happening. And he begins eventually to demand some answers from God. I mean, why can't you can't blame Job for this. He's been good. He's been faithful. He's been done, doing all the things that he wants. His life has been good. And so he comes and he says, why God? Why me? And this morning, I want to give you a proposition that you may have never heard before. Maybe you have, but I want to give you a proposition that I believe that in this moment, Job sins. Most people, we never see that, but I believe that in this moment, that his pride becomes something here of self-sufficiency. And he sets himself up as perfect enough that he can judge God. He can judge God as doing wrong and treating him wrong. 
he actually has the audacity to call God out and says, you are wrong, God. I think in Scripture we have some of those, those instances, uh, in particular Romans 9, 20, Richard, but who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall, shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? I think it's the first time that I've ever noticed that Job, I believe, really does sin here. Now, I don't want us to get wrong that there's not a place to dialogue with God. There's not a place to question God. There's not a place to come and in Scripture say, come and let us reason. I think all those are good things. But here Job does cross the line. I think this is the first time, really, that I've ever kind of thought about it. But then God comes back. And he answers here. And it says he answers him from out of the storm. The thick darkness where God is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But I want you to know that most of scripture and most people's lives that it is in the dark that we find God. Because it is most visible in the dark. That light is so bright it cannot be missed. There's a different picture here than we have of, of this gentle and good shepherd here. I don't think Job is out, I mean, God is out to scare Job, but I do think that perhaps there is a moment here to make him contrite. In verse 3, the text says, brace yourself like a man. Get ready. God is saying, okay, Job, let's wrestle this out. We're fixing to get real here, and you need to cast aside any, any ill feelings, and let's really get down to the brass tacks and really find out what's going on. And I wonder, have, and we have stories of Jacob wrestling with God, and I wonder even, and as we apply it to ourselves, how many times have we sat down and began to really wrestle with God and say, forget all what everybody else is saying, but you and I are going to get this straight, and I'm going to settle my faith, and I'm going to settle everything right here and now, and there is no place for some sense of passivity. It's time to get together like a man here. We're fixing to do this. And I'll match you strike for strike, and let's see how this works out. And then God, I just read a small passage. God asked Job 60 questions. He goes on and answers, and you know, Job is like, what? I just want to know why you're doing this to me. And he answers 60 questions he goes through. If you know so much, Job, why don't, let's just, let's just, why don't you just make a whale, Job? The nature of God is that he is powerfully present and sovereign over the world that he created. You see, Job, you are not self-sufficient. And put your name in there. You see, you are not self-sufficient. Even though sometimes we might feel like we are. And God says, but I am all-sufficient. Things are really beyond your control, but they are never beyond mine. And maybe that's a great lesson for us. Because we like to control, and some of us like to control more than others, everything that we can. God doesn't tell Job or us why bad things happen. That is not answered here. That is not what what happens. Why do bad things happen? But we are led to understand this, that the creator, that the sustainer of the universe is able to sustain us through whatever we might face. Whatever you might face, the creator of the universe is able to sustain you. And no matter what you think, he is able 
Why me? God is able. It's not to humiliate Job. This is not what it's about. But it's rather to humble Job. Job insisted on his own righteousness before this. And he questions God's justice. He sets himself up as God's judge. And that's why I believe that he sins exactly the way that Adam and Eve did. They doubted the goodness of God. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Let's find out. They doubted God and his wisdom. They set themselves up as equals in judgment of a situation. And I want you to know over and over again, that is what sin is. I said it long ago. It is taking God off the throne and saying, I will be God. Now, we don't say that, but we really do say, I know what's best. I'll do what's best. I know what I've been told. It doesn't matter. And sin ultimately is saying, I'm in charge, and I don't really care about it. Maybe there's a different level of that. I'm in charge, but I care about God. But, you know, just not, I, I'm still going to make all these decisions. And that's what happens here with Job. Job says, I need to step up because God's not doing his job. And I'm going to bring all some condemnation on him. And from that moment on, sin has been the reason for death, destruction, unfairness in the world. And God has been the one cleaning up the mess from that moment. In Job 37, 23, we read, The Almighty is beyond our reach, exalted in power, in his justice and great righteousness, but does not oppress. I think it's interesting to notice that while Job didn't trust God, God trusted Job. We get the background, we peek into Job's problems, and we know that Satan asked for permission, right, to do this attack. And Job, with all, with his whole arsenal of bad things that were going on, God said, go ahead, I trust Job to remain faithful. I, God trusts him. I trust him. I want you to know today, God trusts you. Now you say, well, I shouldn't be trusted. I'm not worthy. I want you to know that God does believe that you're worthy. God does believe that you're able. And he ultimately wants to help you and he gave you power. So come when you say, why me? I don't know. God is still wanting to say, I'm there. I trust you. You can do this. He did the same thing with Job. The story this morning is less about Job and more about us. Go ahead, I trust Job to remain faithful. I wonder if Job had known that. Would he have given in to something that he finds, this pride that's in him? We trust in a personal God who knows us. Not in a plan someone has presented to us. Not in a roadmap that somehow that, that we figured out how to live this life. God is greater than we can possibly ever grab a hold of. And truthfully, we are smaller than we can ever imagine. We, we are really not that significant. And now you, we do have a significance to play in the life of others, but in the grand scheme, we're in 100 years from now, you'd be lucky if anybody even knows your name. Isn't that sad? But I tell you what, there are people who know people's names 100 years ago, and it's because they made a difference in their lives. But we need, this is what I think this needs. It's the message to Job, and it's the message to us this morning that we need to move from judging to trusting, from questioning to listening, from our problems 
to a different perspective. When we ask God, think about this. This is really, rubber hits the road really hard right here. And this is, we'll see, that I, I think about Job and I think about ourselves. When we ask God, where are you when we hurt? And he asks us, where are you when others around you are hurting? Life is unfair. So you need to be there. I've called you to be something. And you all you can say is give me, give me, give me. But you don't ever give, give, give. People are hurting and you can make a difference. I know you're hurting. How could you question me? I've been there helping you all along the way. And now something's tough and you can say, woe is me. He's saying the same thing to Job. People are hurting. You know it. And they're saying, why me? You can make a difference. And then all of a sudden, you do get a little bit of humility, like, oh, oh, but I've helped people. Well, help more. And don't just help once. Encourage others. Expect to God show up when you respond to other people's suffering. When they're hurting, you are being called to help them. And when they're hungry, you're being called to feed them, and you're to visit the sick. You're to relieve what suffering you can in your own corner of the world. God's silence is not his absence, but your silence is your absence. In the face of suffering, there's a hurting world wondering where God is. And God is telling us, you have a little slice of me in you, and you need to let people see God. history of suffering and sin always leads us to this final answer when he who knew no sin became sin for us and suffered our death on the cross I want you to know this morning that was not fair in any sense of the word there is no way that we can come up and say that's fair that's the way it should have been it wasn't fair but it's how much God cares it is how much God loves Who can question that kind of love? No matter what happens, who can say with Job? We can say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know. Mm. People, when they're going through difficulties of life, will probably never remember what you say. You may be the smartest person in the world and you know how to deal with they'll never remember you but you know what they will remember that you were there you would never leave that you would never forsake that you love them that you care for them they will never ever forget that maybe they'll remember something but they will remember that you were there they will remember that you sent a card they will remember that you were in a hospital and they were there you knew that they cared and loved that is what God is calling us to do he's calling Job he's saying there's so much more than sitting back and having livestock all out through the hills and being wonderfully rich and having a life of comfort there is something more to this you are called to be God you are called to be God in the sense that he is moving in you to make a difference and when the world can't see it in you then guess what They say, why God? Why is me? Why me? We can give all kinds of answers and God would say, what about you? You think you got it all figured out? I am calling. I have a plan. There are people who are supposed to be doing this. Our text from Hebrews 
<clears throat> which is actually Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. If you want to read it, I'm not going to read it right here, but you can read it later. From Hebrews, uh, says, Even Christ himself didn't take it upon himself to be a priest and speak for God, but he was called by God to do so. And with that call, the tremendous burden of suffering, it says he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, to the one who could save him from death and his prayers were heard because of his reverent submission. You think that God, that Jesus was just this God and he was also a man and we somehow forget that he was man, that he had to deal with this idea, that he would give himself up completely. And that was very hard. And he asked God, let's do it another way. We don't have to do it this way. And we are the same. Sometimes we have to come to God and say, God, show me the way. And then he shows us and we're like, no, that's too hard. But that is what God is calling us to do. Make this difference. Yes, his prayers were heard. But his sacrifice was still necessary for Jesus. Pride could have reared its head. And I don't know what history would look like if it did for Jesus. But he came obedient even unto death. He never used his position as God's son to remove himself from what God is calling him to do. But rather, he yielded himself to a higher purpose. He was the perfect man, able to be our perfect and humble servant, a Savior. Look at the Savior in this next passage. If you want to look at Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, this can be your homework if you're making notes to look at it. James and John, they asked to sit at the right and the left of Jesus in the kingdom. And he asked if they could go through what he had gone through, had to go through. And their audacity said, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, Jesus, we can do what you're going to do. We can do that. Yes, of course we can. And Jesus gave this prediction. He said, yeah, you are going to suffer. Just as Christ would. We know that they become horrific martyrs. But Jesus said he, didn't, he, didn't, he had not been given the authority to grant the privilege to sit on the right hand and the left in the heaven because those places of honor will be given to those from whom they have been prepared. In other words, we see from God is chosen for that honor somewhat we don't know. Do you see that Jesus has, some, has something though? He has no problem with saying, I'm not really going to take all that authority even though I could. I'm, I'm leaving that up. And I think that's so important for us to recognize in this world that we live in is that we lay down authority and that we lay down power. Even though that we have the power, we can still give it up and let someone else have it because that's part of what Jesus showed us we should be doing. In the world today, we, we revere those who have power, those who make things happen, those who stand up and are strong. And I want you to know it's the opposite in the scripture. Those who lay it down for the sake of others are so, are so significant and important. Jesus did it. Why can't we? And what's more interesting about that passage of Scripture, so those two, they, they, they get chastised. And guess what the others do? The other ten disciples heard it, and they have the audacity, and they become indignant. Prideful. I think they became so upset, they were like, why didn't we ask for that? So Jesus uses that opportunity 
to berate them for their, he doesn't use it to berate them for their audacity, but rather he teaches them the road to true happiness and humility. He says, lording it over someone and having lots of authority is not the way to live a fulfilled life. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who, who do we really appreciate? Don't we all love bossy people who try to shape us and snap us into something? Don't we love that? We love that. All of us love that. Or do we, or those who want us just to move on, can't sympathize with it, just get out of my face, I can't deal with this right now. Or is it the person who comes and visits, who sits, who will be your friend? Listen to your problems without complaining. They bring you some chicken soup. Man, that's not very hard, is it? The person who rejoices with us when good things happen. And they grieve with us when bad things happen. The person that we know that we can count on to help us in our time of need, no matter what. And what a tragedy to think this morning that anyone in this congregation would sit and say, if I had a problem, I don't know where I'd go. Nobody would help me. That's not Jesus and the Christianity that he was teaching us. I think the message for us today as it was for Job, is so poignant. Yeah, life can be good, but you need to be engaged in being the hands and feet of God. There's a story about a man who went to the doctor. He had weeks of symptoms, and the doctor examined him carefully. He said, you wait right here. I've got to talk to your wife. Your husband is suffering from a rare form of anemia. Without treatment, he's going to be dead in a few weeks. The good news is that it can be treated with proper nutrition. You'll need to get up early in the morning and fix your husband a hot breakfast. Pancakes, bacon, and eggs. The works. He'll need a home-cooked lunch every day and an old-fashioned meat and potato dinner every night. It would be especially helpful if you could bake frequently cakes and pies and homemade breads. These are things that will allow your husband to live. One more thing. His immune system is so weak, so it's important that you keep your home spotless at all times. Do you have any questions? The wife said, no. Do you want to break the news or shall I? Asked the doctor. She said, I will. The wife walked into the exam room. The husband sensed some seriousness on his face. It's bad, isn't it? She said, yeah. What's going to happen? She said, you're going to die. There's something about many of us that resist being a servant, isn't there? When we know we should, but we don't want to. We have a model of suffering and obedience demonstrated to us by Jesus, who walked this earth in real flesh and blood, such as we. He hurt. He suffered. He prayed to not have to go through it all, just as we do. But he went on the cross, grave, and he suffered the worst of it for us. He rose to secure for us the final victory over death. 
And someday, when all of our questions are answered, like we, like, like Job, and all of our judgments are shown that we've given judgments often that have been wrong and perhaps even shallow, my guess is that we really won't wonder why we suffered so much. Rather, we probably will be wondering, why didn't we serve more? Imagine, imagine the marvelous grace that he extends to us when we are prideful sinners. Yet he still says, I love you. I want you. I'll give myself for you. Even though in our minds, we know that none of us deserve that. And in those moments, think about what God has done. We have the audacity that we could enter into heaven and into the presence of the perfect person, humbly bowing. And I think in that moment, every sense of pride will be gone forever. But for now, I think many of us are still like Job, to lay that pride down in his father's Sometimes that's harder, I think, than others because we, we kind of think we've got to be a certain way the way the world has told us. I want you to know that the world doesn't know a thing. It's what God what needs and wants and asks is more important to be obedient than anything else. Well, can you believe at the end of July I will have been here 10 years? Can you believe that? What some of you may not remember is I shared with you 10 years ago that my intention was to be here 10 years. And so I have given my resignation to the board a couple weeks ago, and we have discussed on our path forward, there is uniqueness in my situation. Right now, I don't have plans to go to another church. Typically, that happens. There is no place that I would rather pastor right now, and this is the truth, than the Gainesville Church of Nazarene with its people, its resources, its ability and forward thinking. I, I, I love this place, and so it, it, is, it is hard for me to do what I'm doing, but I also feel very confident that it is the right thing. It is the right thing because multiple reasons. There's a lot that's happened, and we've experienced a lot over 10 years, many of us. And uh, I look with great love and fondness for all. I submitted my resignation effective at the end of July. But also from the district superintendent who I've been in discussion with for many months, what our path forward might look like. We discussed it with the board, and they have spent at least a week discussing this. And upon the recommendation of the district superintendent and myself, we had asked that the board would consider Ryan Watt to fulfill the role of senior pastor. As uh, and, and the board has set this in motion now. As of the end of July, I will no longer be in the senior pastor role. I will, however, stay additional three months in support of Pastor Ryan, who will fulfill those duties. And at the end of October, this body will then have an opportunity to elect and vote upon Pastor Ryan. Ryan, would you just come up here? Um, it is very hard for me, but I also want you to know that it is very refreshing for me that uh, I have such confidence in, in Pastor Ryan, and uh, I think the gifts and abilities that he possesses that some of you may not have even seen are tremendous. Uh, and he has things that I have, even though 
there may be some gaps where he's going to learn some things. There's no doubt in my mind that he will close it quickly. And I'll be here and able to help. And, and um, So I will give a letter, but I just um, needed to inform you, and it is, um, it's hard for me. And, and I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I'm confident um, that I'll know within uh, a little time. Uh, the district superintendent has promised that there are, there's space for me to do different things in the district, and I'm a part of that. But I feel clear, and uh, I'm excited about what, what the future might hold. So, Ryan, uh, the world changes for both of us pretty soon. But I, I, I am excited because Ryan... Um, has the ability to, to come behind me, and that's important to me. So, Ryan, it's not quite handover time yet, but it's good to be here. Would you like to say anything? Or Shelly, she's the secretary. She might want to say something. I don't know. don't have it all figured out but we will and uh, I can only say that I, I love every one of you and there is no ill feelings here and there is no I am not running from anything like oh no I better get out that is not all the case uh, this feels the right thing to do uh, we've known about it and thought about it and prayed about it and uh, we look forward to the great things ahead Shelly did we cover it all is there anything that you'd like to say or need to say
great days ahead. I am absolutely confident that the church is in great position to accomplish some mighty, wonderful things, and so I'm excited about that. Well, stand, and let's be dismissed. Pastor Ryan, would you dismiss us in prayer?